What comes to your mind when I say the phrase worship gathering or Sunday worship? Church, what, what things enter your mind when I, when I say that phrase? Yeah, yeah. So maybe it, it's, uh, it's certain aspects of our services, maybe singing, you know, worship gathering, singing or sermons or prayer. Uh, maybe the thought that we are, who we are worshiping is what comes to mind. I heard somebody say, God, we are worshiping our great God. Maybe the thought of being with the people of God comes to mind, brothers and sisters in Christ, or the thought of being able to serve the Lord and his people in the gathering. Maybe some of you think less noble thoughts than what I just described there when I say worship gathering. Maybe it's uh, boring, difficult to understand, challenging to pay attention. Maybe for some it's a challenge to feel close-knit with the people who are so different from you. This is a gathering of many different kinds of people. This morning we're going to spend a little time in another one of the Psalms of Ascent. We've been working our way slowly over the last year or so through the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, Psalms 120 through 134 are the Psalms of Ascent, songs for the journey, for those making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the three annual feasts, for Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of of booths. These are the songs that they would sing as they would go and as they would arrive. They would pray these songs together. And this morning we are going to look at Psalm 122. If you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 122. If you don't have your Bible with you and you wanted to look at one, there should be one in one of the chairs in front of you. And it would be page 517 in the Bibles that we have here. This morning, again, we're looking at Psalm 122, which is a psalm that, that speaks of the joy of the people as they enter Jerusalem, as they go to their worship gathering. They're going to the city of the Lord, a psalm that acknowledges that life is best when the Lord dwells among his people. Do you believe that this morning? Life is best when the Lord dwells among his people. He is our joy, our peace. He is our place of refuge. He knits his people together. And so we're going to read Psalm 122. And then I'm going to want us to consider three things briefly. The place, the people, and the promise. I did that just for you, Larry. The place, the people, and the promise. I, I came up with three Things that start with the same letter, alliteration. And beyond that, I just this is just private for me and Larry. I have three points for each of my three points. How about that? <laughs> and then for each of those points, I have three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's that? That's right. No, that part was the private part. Now everything else is is for public uh, consumption. Psalm 122. This is the word of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, 
the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And apart from your spirit at work among us, my words will do nothing. They will be of no avail. We need you to work. And so I pray that your word would work to sharpen us and shape us and change us this morning, that your spirit would be at work among us, that your gospel would be clear, that if there are some in this room who have never believed in Jesus, that today could be the day of salvation. Lord, you must be the one who works for anything of value to happen. And so we pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. The people, or sorry, the place, the people, and the promise. So we're going to start with the place. At the time that David wrote this psalm, Jerusalem had been established as the capital of the nation of Israel. But it would not be until his son Solomon became king that the temple would be built. Yet David acknowledges in the present tense, both in the present tense and somewhat prophetically, that the house of the Lord our God would be in Jerusalem. So for now, David's saying, let's go to the house of the Lord. He is speaking of Jerusalem, the house of the Lord our God. But he is also envisioning a day when there will be a literal house of the Lord in Jerusalem, the temple. David himself intended to be the one who built that house, right? You know this from Scripture? He, he wanted to build the house. And he planned to build that house, but he was told by the Lord through Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 7 that he would not be the one to build that house. Kids, any of you know why David wasn't allowed to be the one who built the temple? That's a tough one. I'm coming, I'm coming out of the gate with a tough trivia question. Anybody know? He was a man of war, a man of bloodshed. He had shed blood, and therefore the Lord would not let him be the one who built the temple, but it would be his son Solomon who built the temple. Yet even still in David's day, Jerusalem was the place where the people of God gathered to specifically and specially experience his presence together. It was there that they celebrated their feasts and they all went up. They all went up to celebrate the feasts. Right from the start of this psalm, we hear David proclaim, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Kids, is that what you said when your parents woke you up this morning? You're like the first thing out of your mouth. I was glad. Thank you, mom and dad. Let's go to the house of the Lord. But right out of the gate in Psalm 122, let us go. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
The city of Jerusalem is shown to be a tight-knit city. We see in verse 3, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. And we've discussed uh, previously as we've done some of the Psalms of Ascent, and some of you have been to Jerusalem. Any bunch of you in here have been to Jerusalem? Who in here has been to Jerusalem at some point? Yeah, so we got a good, you know, a good number of people who've been in the city of Jerusalem. That Jerusalem is an elevated city that the people literally go up to, right? Is that correct? For my, I getting my uh, my wording right here. I don't, I don't, my geography right. It's a close knit community of buildings, walls, and towers. A place of safety and security. We know historically that Jerusalem was a very difficult city for uh, warring armies to overcome. They basically had to choke the, the life out of the city to overcome it in war. For many years, ever since leaving the Garden of Eden and the intimate presence of the Lord, the people of God had been on the journey toward building a home for Him. Not that He lives in homes built by human hands. But a special place of His dwelling among His people. God with us. It's been the goal since the garden, right? God with us. They had the tabernacle. They had the Ark of the Covenant. But they were called to build a home. And Jerusalem was the place for that home. And we see in this psalm that Jerusalem is the place of God's presence. The house of the Lord it's described as. It's also the place of joyful worship. We see it again right in verse 1. David's joy in going up. We see in verse 4. The tribes, of, the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. When hearts are stirred together by way of... One of the great things about gatherings like this, right? Is that we're reminding one another together of who the Lord is and why we ought to be thankful and why we live for Him. That's why gatherings like this are so important, right? When God's people are together to give thanks to the name of the Lord, hearts are stirred, people are reminded, and the Lord's people worship. And joy increases, right? There are a lot of mornings probably where you walk in these doors and you're like, ah, I made it. I made it here. That's about as much as I can give you. But, but and I'm not saying you walk out the door like, yeah! That, but but you, co you come out rejoicing, in it, whether it's rejoicing in sorrow, rejoicing in difficult times or in the highest of highs, that you, that you leave saying, yes, my heart was stirred. I was reminded of the goodness of God, of the mercy of God, of the work of God. And we did that for one another. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, preached, sung, prayed. That's what happens when we gather. When those people went to Jerusalem to share the Passover meal, they were reminded of God's saving mercy, right? Reminded that He saved His people from slavery in Egypt and brought them safely to the promised land. 
When they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost, they remembered that God was faithful to give them a new harvest every year. And they reminded one another of that, right? He's faithful. Again, he was faithful. When they celebrated the Feast of Booths, they remembered that while they were wanderers in the desert, he provided everything they needed. He preserved his people. It's a good reminder for us, right? Wanderers in the desert feel that way sometimes. And he provides for all of our needs. That he did not forget them. And when you are reminded of these truths about your God, it stirs joy. Joyful worship. Jerusalem was the center of joyful worship. It was God's presence, joyful worship. And it was also the place of righteous judgment. Look at verse 5. There, thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. Jerusalem in David's time was the place where godly justice could be found and executed. It is a blessing to a nation when it has just rulers. And it is a blessing to a church when it has just leaders. Do you agree with that? Now, just, what, what comes to your mind when I say the word justice? It's a place of, of righteous justice. What, what do you have pictured in your mind when you hear the word justice? God, you can say it. What's that? Courtroom. Okay, so yeah, there's a courtroom. Maybe justice carries with it this uh, more harsh, probably isn't the right word, but I have the word harsh written, so I'm going to say it. Uh, a harsh connotation like, you know, I'm going to get the justice I deserve for the wrong done to me. Justice is that that all wrongs are going to be dealt with. All wrongs are going to be corrected. But justice is also more than that. I think the psalmist, I think David has more than that in mind when he talks about righteous justice in Jerusalem. Justice means that no one of the people of God goes without and that all are dealt with fairly and kindly. No one is being taken advantage of. The poor, the uneducated, the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, the struggling, they are not forgotten among the people of God. That joyful worship can be a joy for all as they go to Jerusalem because all in the family are cared for. None are overlooked. None are thought of as less than within the people of God because they are the have-nots. We read a book uh, as a deacon team by a guy uh, named Cornelis Van Dam, and it was called, very creatively, The Deacon. Uh, and he talks about the work of the deacons in, in a church, one of the, the jobs of the deacons being to help everybody in the body experience the joy of their salvation by alleviating things that would hinder them from experiencing that joy. Looking to the needs, the physical needs, to help people greater experience the joy of their salvation. 
And I think that's a great way to think about righteous justice. Yes, it is that, that the right will prevail, but it is also that everybody will be treated fairly and kindly and lovingly and graciously within the people of God. Righteousness is exalted and upheld. Jerusalem represents all of this to the pilgrims on their journey. The presence of God, a place of joyful worship, and the place of righteous justice. So then there's the people. There's the place of worship, and then there are the people. The worshipers themselves. And I see in this psalm, Three calls upon the people. The first is one that we've already touched on. They are called to go and worship. This is what we were created for. Joyful worship. I know joyful worship was a point in the first point, but it's true. When our affections are properly placed, there is a ton of joy to be had. We are a people who spend our days tempted to worship lesser things. And we, we know people who are fully immersed in worshiping other things, lesser things, things that are not God's. Oftentimes, they are good things that God has made for us to enjoy and give thanks to Him, but we have turned them into ultimate things. We have made them into God's. We live in a world filled with people looking for objects of worship. Have you experienced that? People are always looking for objects of worship. You see it all around you. And when their objects of worship fail, because everything that's not the one true God will ultimately let you down as a God, right? Whether it's your spouse or your children or your pursuit of a spouse and children or some sort of addiction, all of those gods fall short. Leave us wanting. The people here are called to fix their eyes where their eyes ought to be fixed. To be reminded of the truth that St. Augustine shared a few hundred years after the time of Christ. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The true and only deserving object of our worship is the Lord of all. And the people here are called. Let us go to the house of the Lord to give him thanks, to be reminded that he alone is the one to whom we must give praise. Worship focuses our eyes properly on the one who deserves it. We're called here in verse 4. These people are called to give thanks. So let me ask you, what, what do we have to be thankful for? What do you have to be thankful for? You're not allowed to say everything this time. Family. Family. What else? Health. Church. Church. Jesus. Jesus. Good answer. God's grace. Yes. We could, how long could we go on with this? A little while? Probably more than 30 minutes even, I bet. Yes, we have so much to be thankful for. Life, breath, the opportunity to know the God of the universe. And even through the mercy of Jesus to experience the God of the universe as Father. 
eternally working for our good. The people in Psalm 122 are called to remember that He is their great good. He is the object of their worship. He is the source of everything they have. He is their merciful Savior. And He is the only one worthy of all their worship. It's good to be reminded of that. It's easy for us to get distracted from that, isn't it? It's good to have our hearts stirred to these realities. Or maybe in some hearts, maybe even in this room, as we say, like, worship God, yet no. I have no desire for that. I'm here because i got to be here. I'm here because somebody brought me here. I have no desire in my heart to spend my life worshiping God. It's good for us to acknowledge that reality too. Because there are lots of people who just pretend. They go through their whole life pretending and they think they're fine. We need to be confronted with this. If there is in your heart no desire to worship the God who made you, you are in a scary and dangerous position. Because one day you will have to answer. You'll stand before him. We don't know if it's today or 100 years from now, but one day you will have to give an account. When he says, you were supposed to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You were supposed to give all your worship to me. I made you. What will we say in reply? We'll get back to that. The people are called also to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in verse 6. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why? Because as Jerusalem prospered, so the nation would prosper. The security of the people, the good of the people was wrapped up in the prosperity of Jerusalem. Again, going back to the part where that is the place where the, the dwelling place, the special dwelling place of the Lord was. The well-being of the capital represented the well-being of the people. Prayer, as we have talked about recently, not too long ago, Larry preached on this from Ephesians chapter 6. Prayer is no small calling. It is a huge part of the calling of the people of God. It is a huge part of the calling of the elders of the church, right? We're supposed to be specifically devoted to two things. What? Word and prayer. You have permission to ask us anytime. Are you, are you lifting up this church in prayer? Are you men of prayer? And we are to be a people of prayer because apart from the work of the Lord, we can do nothing. He is the one who will keep Jerusalem secure. Amen. And those who think, I I'm only praying, those, maybe some of you here, I I all I can do right now is just pray for other people. I'm not doing very much. Praying is doing very much. Praying is huge. Praying is calling on the God of the universe to act and do what only he can do. That is no small thing. Prayer is an acknowledgement of our total dependence on the Lord for any good thing to happen. And so the people were to be a people of prayer, asking God to preserve the peace of Jerusalem. They were also called for the sake of the house of the Lord to seek the good of Jerusalem. Verse 9. 
For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. To do what made for upbuilding, building up the people of God, to rightly direct their worship, to not let their hearts drift from worship. The Lord calls his people to seek the good of the place where they are. We see that Jeremiah 29. He was speaking about Babylon in that passage. Seek the good of the place where I've planted you. Within this body, we are called to seek the good of, of this people and pray for the good of our community through our witness. Here in Psalm 122, the people are reminded that He, the Lord, has brought them to this place. And as long as Jerusalem thrives, as long as the Lord is rightly honored as He deserves, this will be a blessed people. A people who worship joyfully, pray for peace, and seek that peace. And as we get to our third point, we have a spoiler. Will these people be a people who joyfully worship, labor in prayer, and seek the peace of Jerusalem for the rest of their days? Will they be that people? What do you think? The answer is no. And so we have the promise. This psalm was written before the temple was even built. And yet we know from the perspective, this side of the cross and the empty tomb with the whole Old Testament before us, Jerusalem would not always maintain its position of prominence. Is it because the Lord failed? No. But because of Israel's unfaithfulness. After the first temple was built, the people were quickly unfaithful. How quickly were the people unfaithful after the temple was built? Who built the temple? Solomon. How did Solomon end up? Not so great. By the end of his life, Solomon was worshiping the gods of his many wives. And as your leaders go, so go the people. And so the people of Israel descended further and further. They had prophets sent to them who warned them. They said, this is your, this is, the Lord's not going to put up with this forever. He is being very patient with you. But they did not listen. They fell further and further from the Lord. They stopped worshiping. They stopped praying. They stopped seeking the peace of Jerusalem. I've used this before, but I just think it's such a startling passage in, in uh, what is it, 2 Kings? Might be 2 Chronicles. Josiah you know, uncovers the law. His, his people find the book of the law, and they refer to it as this book we found. Like, they, they don't even remember. There's not even in their minds that they were the people of the Lord, that they had the law of God. The Lord punished them by the temple being destroyed and many among them being taken into exile in Babylon. But the exiles returned. We're going to hear a little bit of a, right around that time frame over the next, uh, well, not next week, but the following week in the book of Exeter. Esther. 
The exiles returned. Rebuilding began. The temple was rebuilt. The prophets promised these people. They're looking at the new building being built, and they're crying. They remember how great the first temple was, and they're told by the prophets the glory of this temple is going to be greater than the glory of the first temple. Right? Why was it going to be greater? The temple was rebuilt. The prophecy was fulfilled a few hundred years later. And the glory of that temple was greater, not because Herod made the temple externally beautiful beyond compare, but because the feet of the perfect Son of God, the perfect Son of David, Jesus Christ, walked inside that temple. Here he is. So we got the temple, the, the, the picture of God with us, and then we have Jesus in the temple. God with us, literally. Emmanuel. Let's go up to the Psalm 122. Let's go up to the temple to worship him. Here he is, the Prince of Peace, the righteous judge, the one who comes to make all things new. He is the one worthy of praise and honor and glory. He is the living embodiment of the temple. And what do the people do? During one of their solemn feasts, right? They're going up during the Passover. They're singing Psalm 122 as they're on their way. And days later, at the behest of their religious leaders, they are yelling, crucify him to God with us. They sang this song. Let's go up to the house of the Lord. I was excited when they told me. I had joy when they told me. And here is the Lord himself before you. And you're yelling, crucify him. And you're telling all the people to yell the same thing. These people consented to the death of the one they were supposed to give thanks to. The one they were called to worship. And by this death, miracle of miracles, the Lord himself would work a work so mighty that he would produce that which he sought. Worshippers who would worship him not just in word, but from the heart. We are no different from the people who wanted to crucify the Lord of glory. We are not inclined toward worship, not dependent upon the Lord, not seeking the peace that the Lord wants. People pleasers, fearing man more than God, loving praise from man more than the praise that God deserves or praise from God. We have malice and envy in our hearts, but Jesus died for the ones who yelled those words. He died for the ones like us whose lives are not lives of worship to God, but lives of worship to self. He dies to pay the penalty that we deserve for our rebellion, for our lack of worship, for our inability to, to truly do what Psalm 122 calls us to. 
He dies to pay the penalty for that. And then on the third day, he would rise in victory over sin and the grave. And all who believe will be forgiven of their sin, forgiven for their lack of worship, and cleansed from unrighteousness, and given the hope of eternal glory, and then grafted into the people of God, a people who he is making for himself. He does what we cannot do. That is the promise of the new covenant, right? I will make a people for myself. I will put my spirit in their hearts. I will remember their sins no more. I will make them a worshiping people. It's an amazing thing that he does. The question entered my mind as I studied this passage this week and moving toward a close. What is the application of this passage for us today? We who have believed in Christ. What do we do with this passage? Is this passage still directed toward Jerusalem? And to be clear, before I say what I'm about to say, we should pray for Jerusalem. We are still called to pray for Jerusalem. We still see in places like Romans 11 that there is hope for those who are ethnically Jewish. We got one. We got one here. We got a few here. Hope for the ethnically Jewish. But when we think about praying for the peace of Jerusalem, the city, right now, we need to understand that in general, praying for peace from war and receiving a positive answer to that prayer is not ultimately what the people of Jerusalem need. We must not pray for peace, peace, when there is no peace. The people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel, need the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ. They need Jesus. And so we pray to that end. And that's why it's extremely important for us to see in this passage that the Jerusalem of our day is the church, the people of God, those bought by the blood of Jesus and brought together by the Holy Spirit. The church is the people of God. The church is the place of worship. God is with us when we gather. Do you know that? Believe that? There is joy when we gather. When we gather to remember the goodness of God. To pray for the people of God. To seek the good of one another. There is joy when we make sure that none has need in our midst. There is joy when we shine our light to the world around us. There is joy when we hear the word of God and sing and pray together. There is joy when we exhort one another, joy when we lift one another up, joy when justice is exalted in our midst. Joy when our eyes are all diverted away from self. This is one of the greatest things about our gathering. I stop thinking about me and we direct our eyes together to the one who our eyes should be directed to all the time. We're refocused. There is joy when we remind one another in year two of COVID. Joy when we remind one another that the struggles and sorrows will come to an end. I got a text yesterday from a friend who said the best is yet to come. 
right? Celebrated my anniversary yesterday and was reminded that the best is yet to come and we remind one another when we gather that the best is yet to come. Joy when we remember that God, came, God with us came for us so that we could be with him forever. This is the beginning of forever. We must not forsake this. We must not take it for granted. We have the privilege of worship. We have a place of refuge and the Lord is our stronghold. We need him and we need each other. We must not forsake it. God with us came for us to be with us forever. And this is the first fruits. Brothers and sisters, our times of gathering, our times of fellowship, our times of worship are a reminder that we are a part of a Jerusalem that will never be defeated. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We are members only by His grace. And all, all who repent of self-worship, self-glorification, sin, all who believe in Jesus are welcome. Let us go to the house of the Lord to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you, as Moses said, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, from generation to generation. And that you are with us, your church, in a way that is unfathomable, your spirit dwelling in us and among us, uniting us together, that we get the privilege of worship. Lord, would you stir our hearts daily, weekly, to joyful worship and service of one another for the glory of your name, that we would worship you, love one another, and be a light in this world. We thank you for this privilege. We thank you for your grace. We pray only by the grace of Jesus and through his name. Amen.